Good morning to you. It's great to uh, see you this morning, and it's always a privilege to share something from God's Word, especially on such a joyous occasion as this, when we will be witnessing the baptism uh, of a number of our brothers and sisters and hearing something of their stories. I'd like to read to you from Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 21. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ... And to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. And then if you'd like to just move forward in the same letter to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like I said, this morning we have the privilege of witnessing the water baptism of a number of our brothers and sisters. And water baptism means a number of things, but they all revolve around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, water baptism is an act of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an acknowledgement, a public acknowledgement, that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Savior. It is a declaration of our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a visual demonstration of our identity with Jesus, that we have died with him to our old way of life, and that we have been raised with him, hallelujah, into newness of life. The Apostle Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. In short, water baptism is all about Jesus. Hallelujah. Sundar Singh is a name that is not so well known in the West, but uh, in his native India, he is one of the great heroes of the faith. And Pastor Andy just shared with me uh, in the first service that he plays cricket with the great grandson of Sundar Singh. Isn't that amazing? I know what you're really thinking is not it's amazing that he plays cricket with it, but he actually plays cricket at his age. That's what you were thinking, wasn't it? It is age that he's playing cricket. Well, that's wonderful. Um, but Sundar Singh was born in the late 19th century to an affluent Sikh family 
in India, and he grew up hating Christianity. And uh, such was his hatred of Christianity that at the age of 15, he publicly burned a copy of the scriptures in defiance against Christ and Christianity. And yet, three days after that event, he was gloriously saved through a vision of Jesus Christ. That's the mercy of God. And uh, he was at a dark place in his life. He was contemplating suicide. And he just cried out to God, not knowing which God he was crying out to. And he testifies that he saw the face of Jesus radiating with inexpressible joy and peace and love and was gloriously saved. He went on to be a Christian missionary serving God. And uh, on one occasion, he was visiting um, a Hindu college and uh, one of the lecturers accosted him rather aggressively and said, what is it that you have found in Christianity that you did not have in your old religion? He said, I have found Christ. And he was kind of a bit irritated by that. And he said, yeah, but what doctrine, what particular doctrine, what particular thing did you find in Christianity that you did not have before? He said, the particular thing I have found is Jesus Christ. I have found Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul was able to sum up his life equally succinctly when he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul, when he penned these words of scripture in Philippians, he was in prison and awaiting trial. The outcome of his trial could mean one of two things. He would either be executed or he would be released. His life would either be ended or it would be extended. And naturally speaking, his future was in the hands of a human judge. And yet he was so deeply aware that actually it was God who held his life in his hands. And it was God who would decide whether he would die a martyr's death or whether he would be released from prison. And of course, he is quite convinced that uh, he is going to go. His time was not up at that moment. He goes on to say, I am convinced that I will continue in Christian service in order for your benefit, brothers and sisters at Philippi. In the, in the natural sense, this is, you know, Paul's circumstances are quite dire, really. They're quite negative. Here he is imprisoned. He has a death sentence over his head. And, uh, you know, you might say, poor Paul. And yet the letter that he writes here is full of joy. I think it's something like 19 times he uses the word joy or rejoicing. It is a letter overflowing with joy. And Paul expresses a remarkable indifference towards life and death. It's not the indifference of somebody who has lost the will to live. But it's the positive indifference of somebody who views the future in a win-win way. Paul was able to look at the two roads. It's almost as if he stood at a junction. One road led to his execution. The other road led to his release and continued ministry. And he looks at both of those roads and he is indifferent. He is excited about both roads. He views those roads as win-win. You know, I will win whatever. You know, if I am executed, I win because I'll be with Jesus, the one that I love. 
If I'm not, then I will carry on in fruitful ministry. And uh, like I said, Paul is quite certain that he will carry on. But right in the midst of those uncertain circumstances, he has absolute peace and absolute assurance. But we may wonder, where was that statement unique to Paul? For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Because of his unique calling or because of the fact that uh, as far as we know, he was a single man without any dependents. Was it because he lived in an era of persecution where really most of the people who lived at that time did not expect to retire to the seaside and play golf? You know, many of them expected to die a martyr's death. And we may want to say, well, you know, it's a bit different for you, Paul. And of course it is. If you've got dependents, if you're married, you've got an immediate family, that makes a big difference. But before we just dismiss that statement and say, well, it was relevant to Paul, but maybe not to me, we need to understand that Paul shared that as an example. On two occasions in this letter, he encourages believers to follow his example. And in opening his heart and giving us an insight into how he ticks, really what Paul is saying, look, I'm modeling something for you here. I'm modeling what a Christ-centered life looks like. Interestingly enough, when Paul contemplates life and death, he considers life to be the more difficult choice, if it was his choice. You know, and I think there's a reason for that. You know, for Paul, life was no picnic. Ministry was hard. The Apostle Paul found himself so often going through such hardship, such persecution, because of his allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. But also, we know from 2 Corinthians 12, in those early verses, that Paul had already had a glimpse of heaven. In a mysterious passage, we discover that Paul had glimpsed the glories of heaven. He had a foretaste of the sheer joy, the sheer pleasure of what it would be like to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. But to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I believe those two statements cannot be separated. I believe that they are inextricably linked because it was Paul's Christ-centered life that enabled him to face death with such a positive attitude. If I live for my possessions, then to die is to leave those possessions behind. If I live for my work or for ministry, then to die is to leave that behind. If I live for my family, then to die is to leave them behind or to be parted for them for a time. But if I live for Christ, then to die is to enjoy a whole new dimension of his glorious, his beautiful, his exhilarating presence. Paul lived a Christ-centered life. He seems to be obsessed with Jesus Christ. And... Uh, if we want to know what does that Christ-centered life look like, then we need to look at uh, a little further in his letter to chapter 3, where Paul says this. He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I love the way the message puts it. It says, yes, all the things 
I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant, dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. You know, the book of Acts records for us the dramatic change that took place in the Apostle Paul's life when he encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road. But here in Philippians chapter 3, we kind of get an insight into the radical change that took place on the inside of his heart. Everything changed when Paul met Jesus. Literally everything changed when he met Jesus. I love that phrase, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I wonder today, how well do we know Jesus? You know, sometimes I hear people talk about Jesus and it almost sounds like he has no character, no shape, no personality. It's almost as if he is the invisible friend who says what someone wants him to say and does what someone wants him to do. A vague figure from the past. And yet that's not what Jesus was to Paul. Jesus was a living reality to Paul. Jesus was somebody who was present, ever present within his life. Everything we know about Jesus today, we know from the scriptures. And, uh, you know, maybe in some ways we can be a little bit envious of Sundar Singh. We can say, I, I never had a vision of the face of Jesus. Maybe we can be a bit envious of the Apostle Paul and say, well, it's all right for Paul. He had that encounter on the Damascus Road. For some of us here today, we have grown up in Christian homes and we are very familiar with Jesus. Maybe there has never been a time when we did not believe in Jesus Christ. And yet, we discover Jesus, we know Jesus through the scriptures. And uh, it was a guy called um, Erasmus. And please don't ask me anything about Erasmus. I know nothing about him. He lived in the 16th century. He was a theologian. He was a translator. But uh, that's about all I know. But he said this. He said, the Bible will give Christ to you in an intimacy so close that he would be less visible to you if he stood before your eyes. Let me read that again. The Bible will give Christ to you in an intimacy so close that he would be less visible to you if he stood before your eyes. Friends, we find Jesus in the pages of Scripture. Everything we know about Jesus is there in the scriptures. And yet the wonderful thing, it's the Holy Spirit that takes the word of God and takes that revelation of Jesus Christ and makes him real in our experience. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to encounter the living, risen Christ from day to day. Friends, we don't have to feel hard done by. Maybe there are those here today and you're pursuing some supernatural kind of revelation, some, you know, higher experience. I want to challenge you today. Get your nose into the word of God. Gaze upon Jesus in the scriptures and the Holy Spirit will enable you to see Jesus like you've never seen him before. 
The whole of the scriptures point us towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, these are the scriptures that testify about me. And friends, this morning, we, we have no time. It's great to see the children with us. I thought it was an invasion. It's wonderful, isn't it? Uh, but we have no time to go through all the names of Jesus. But I just want to remind you, Hebrews tells us that he is the radiance of the Father's glory, the exact representation of his being, upholding all things by his powerful word. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords, as Revelation tells us. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth, as Colossians tells us. And he is the deeply loving shepherd who has searched us out and found us and saved us. As Luke tells us, he is the one who humbled himself and gave his life for you and I upon the cross of Calvary so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be reconciled to God. Jesus is so many things today. Something I just was reading just recently, and it reminded me that, you know, Jesus is the happiest person in the universe. Do you see Jesus that way? He is the happiest person in all of the universe. John Piper, a great Christian writer and teacher, he said, if somebody saves you from the sea from drowning by throwing out of lifeline, you're not overly bothered, really, if that person is happy or sad, are you? You're not, you're not worried whether they're laughing or they're gloomy. You're just grateful that you're saved. You may never, never see them again. But that's not the case with Jesus. Because Jesus saves us in order to bring us into fellowship with himself. Jesus saves us. He, he forgives us. He, he died so that the barrier of sin might be removed so that we might come into fellowship with himself. Jesus is the one who has done that. And the great news for you and I this morning is that we have come into fellowship with the happiest person in the universe. Aren't you glad about that this morning? And you're glad today that you have been brought into relationship, not with a gloomy God, not with a gloomy Christ, but with a Christ who overflows with joy. Who said to his disciples on the eve of his suffering, I'm telling you these things so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that for the joy that was set before him, He endured the cross, despising its shame. Psalms tell us that in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. Hallelujah. Fullness of joy. Praise the Lord for Jesus. You know, a relationship with Jesus brings immeasurable joy into our hearts. But moving on quickly, we have so much to do. Let me just say this, that Paul says the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Jesus was Paul's Lord, personal. He's my Lord. And friends, today it seems that at times people want to pick and choose the bits of Jesus that they want. They want a savior who will save them from their sins and one day take them to heaven, but they do not want a Lord who might interfere with their lives. It's almost as if they want their lives to remain exactly the same and for Jesus to somehow be attached to their lives, to give them a little bit more comfort, a little bit more peace. But friends, today we don't get to choose. If we want to know the delights, the sheer pleasure, 
the sheer joy of knowing Jesus Christ, then we need to embrace the whole of Jesus. Not pick little bits that we like, but say, Jesus, I want you not only as my Savior, I want you as my Lord. The Apostle Paul's life was turned upside down by his encounter with the living Christ. Jesus Christ, my Lord. And then I notice in chapter 1 and verse 20, and with this I want to close, that Paul had an overriding passion, and that was that Jesus Christ would be glorified. You know, this morning, I love the banner over this church, his name in high honor. And I believe Paul would like that. Paul would be thrilled with that because that was his life's mission. In chapter 1 and verse 20, as Paul is facing the possibility of execution, he says, I eagerly await and expect and hope that I will no, in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Isn't that amazing? Here is Paul facing a possible life sentence, possible execution, and he's still focusing on Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ, he says. My biggest concern, he says, as I face some of these trials, is I want Jesus to be glorified. I want Jesus to be exalted. It's so easy for us as believers to turn Christianity upon its head and make it all about me and my needs rather than Jesus and his glory. Friends, I want to tell you, you were created, you were redeemed for the glory of Jesus Christ. And may God grant that in our actions, in our conversations, in our texting, in our tweeting, in our Facebooking or whatever it is, May God grant that Jesus Christ is honored, that Jesus Christ is exalted. Like I said this morning, with this I close, it may be that you are here this morning and you think to yourself, well, it was all right for Paul. It was all right for Sundar Singh. They had that revelation. But you know what Peter writes in his first letter, chapter 1 and verse 8? He says, though you have not seen him, that is Jesus, you love him. And even now you do not see him, you believe in him, and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Friends, today there is a reality of Jesus Christ that is available to each and every one of us. There is a fresh vision every time we open the scriptures of Jesus that is available to us. As we sung in the words just a moment or two ago, I didn't know we were singing that song. May Jesus indeed be the center of our lives. Can I say that the most important thing in this life is to see Jesus as he really is and to have him at the center of our lives. The Lord bless you.